Well, now after all that, I, I hope the message is okay. <laughs> but in all, uh, in all sincerity, you know, one, thank you to uh, Michelle, because there's a, uh, you know, before taking this position, there was, there was concerns or just thoughts of like, what is this going to do to family life and, and all of that. And so she's been a, a real rock uh, and all of that, a lot of time that I have to spend in the basement, literally like, you know, as, you know, I'm studying the word and, and praying into different things that are going on in our community. So she's been a rock with that and Real honestly, guys, you know, I mean, we're, we're a smaller congregation, right? Um, I'm uh, bivocational for those that are guests. I teach high school, but also pastor here. And, you know, there's only so much time and only so much energy one person has. But what's so beautiful here is that um, that's where the Holy Spirit kicks in. Amen? When you're at the end of your own strength and power, that's when the Holy Ghost shows up and does things. Um, but it also is something beautiful because it allows and encourages all of us to be an active participant in what the Lord is doing here. And so you know, I just wanted to say all that, that I appreciate all of you. You know, everyone uh, from those who clean the building to those who work the soundboard or to those that are here with just a, uh, a smile on their face saying hello to people and being consistent with that. Um, you know, obviously the Lord could do it without any of us because he's the Lord, but he has chosen to use us, and I know it's, it's, it, it's doing the Lord's um, heart well. So I thank you for that, and thank you for that support. Um, so we have, we're going to get into the Word now. So uh, let's uh, open up to uh, Matthew chapter 17. So to those of us that are, uh, that are here as guests, um, we've been going on a, a journey uh, in a sermon series on uh, what we're calling the times in life of Jesus. And so this really was spawned on by, you know, uh, many of us have been believers in reading the Bible for a long period of time. And we look at the Gospels and we look at the Gospel stories, but we don't always understand the depths of the context of what's happening. Uh, we don't always understand the depths of the culture that is, um, that is residing around the teachings. And once you start to better understand the, the context, uh, in many different ways, you know, um, the, the religious context of the time, the historical context, the geographical context, which is a lot of today, um, we better get an understanding of really the nuances of the Gospels and what the Lord is really trying to convey. So we've been doing that, and uh, we've just been really just following the Gospels and trying to go somewhat chronologically based. And so today uh, is a teaching coming out of uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Notice this transformation there, but it's the Mount of Transfiguration, and we're going to learn how that Mount of Transfiguration helps us be transformed into the image of Messiah. So, the Mount of Transfiguration, many of you uh, may have heard that story or remember that story. That's when uh, Jesus brings uh, the disciples up. That would be uh, John, James, and Peter, uh, I believe, are the three. They go up the mountain, and it's there that uh, Jesus' face shone like the sun. The voice of the Father comes and speaks, and the three disciples are just like, oh my goodness, the Father has just spoken. Um, so let's, let's understand um, that context a little bit here. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to read 1 through 7. It says, now after six days, Yeshua, Jesus, took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. 
And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Lord, we just invite you here, although you are always here with us. But Lord, we just ask for a special measure of your grace right now as we get into your word. That our hearts would be transformed into your image. That our outlook on life would be transformed into the image of Messiah. Lord, we just invite you to do that work in us as we get into your word. Amen? Amen. So, uh, this teaching on the Mount of Transfiguration um, has a, a, a very typical teaching that goes with it. Uh, many of us, if we've heard a teaching on this, um, there's a focus on the symbolism between the New Testament and the Older Testament on the story. For example, uh, Jesus climbs a mountain. Moses climbs a mountain. Moses climbs a mountain, receives the laws of God, right? The oracles of God. Jesus climbs the mountain and he is transfigured and his presence is shown to his disciples. Uh, there's a lot of teaching on the symbolism of the two people that are on the mountain. You have Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? Moses is the representation of the law, saying that the law is foreshadowing and prophesying that Jesus is the Word made flesh. And why Elijah? Elijah is there, one who never saw death, right? That the prophets are testifying of the coming of Jesus, and that they're there. Um, it's a symbol of, okay, Jesus is being revealed in, in the foreshadowing of his resurrection, right? He's there with the fullness of his glory and the fullness of his splendor, which doesn't happen until the death and resurrection and his ascension, uh, but that symbol is there. And then, of course, one of the biggest things is that the Father himself is declaring, this is my son, like no questions asked. This is my son. Hear him. Listen to him. He's speaking on my behalf. And so there's a lot of teachings that are on there, and they're all very good and very powerful. But within the notion of the times and life of Jesus, there's more to it than that. There's other pieces of the puzzle that need to be understood to get the full understanding of what is happening here in this story. What we have here is Jesus and the disciples climb up what most scholars believe to be Mount Hermon, which is in the north of Israel. The Catholics say it's in a different mountain in, in the more central portion of Israel, but like it doesn't make sense because it's so far away from the context of the story. It's not a very big mountain. I've been on that mountain. It's like, it's pretty small. Um, and most scholars are like, yeah, it's not, that's not there. It, it's most definitely Mount Hermon, which is right there. That is actually Mount Hermon in uh, northern is Israel in the wintertime. And what's so fascinating uh, that at the base of Mount Hermon, there is a cave. And you can't make this up. It's just, it's, it's so amazing. 
at the base of the mount of transfiguration of Jesus revealing himself as the Son of God in full glory and power, there is a cave. And that cave has a story. If we can see that video, uh, please. Well, it finally made it to the north of Israel, near Dan, the place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is a large archaeological site containing elaborate building projects by Herod Philip and Herod the Great's grandson, Agrippa II. Sorry. Heard it's supposed to rain today. In addition to magnificent Roman structures, Caesarea Philippi is also known for bandits, a collection of springs, and pagan worship sites linked to the cult of Pan. Pan, also called the goat god, was the Greco-Roman god of nature, livestock, and hunting. All things related to wild times, party music, and of course, fertility. Pan was the crazy-looking god with hindquarters, legs, and horns of a goat. The centerpiece of this ancient worship site is this huge cliff and grotto, containing the remains of numerous altars, caves, temples, and courtyards. This whole area was teeming with Roman mythology and idolatry. It was right here where Jesus, nearing the end of his ministry, asked his disciples one profound question. Who do you say that I am? All right, if we can switch over, that'd be great. So there is the cave. Now, what we have here is, it's, it's unbelievable. So at, on the very base of the rock, of the foundation, which is known as Mount Hermon, there is a, a, a gate there. Uh, that gate uh, is actually known as the Gate of Hades, or the Gate to Hell. So in ancient times, the, the Romans that were there as, as soldiers, and the Greeks... They, they believe that that was one of the entranceways to the underworld. Right there. Now, here, right up, right up on top is Mount Hermon. Down at the bottom of the area, uh, you'll see a town. At the base there, there is the cave, which was the Gates of Hades, it was known as. And that town right there is Caesarea Philippi. So you have Caesarea Philippi, that's adjacent to right there at the mountain. At the bottom of the mountain is the gate of Hades, the gate to hell. And then on top of this mountain is where Jesus is transfigured. It's like unbelievable what's going on here. So what do we have going on and understand this spiritually? Right before chapter 17 was two weeks ago, I taught on the notion of Jesus saying, who do you say that I am? That happens in Caesarea Philippi right there in that town. So when Jesus goes to Peter, who do you say that I am? It's happening right in that town. It's happening right in that location of the gates to the underworld, to hell, to paganism. And how interesting it is, is that that's when Jesus in Matthew 16, at the end of it, right before he's about to go on a hike up a mountain, he says, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hell will not prevail against it. What you, the gates of hell, what's going on? He's literally standing here at the gates of hell. This is what the pagans say are the gates of hell. And I'm telling you that even this place, the kingdom will not, in fact, be able to be held back. 
That's the context. There's an actual gate that the pagans believe. And Jesus is right there at Caesarea Philippi saying, oh, I'm building my church on this rock. And the gates of Hades will not even be able to prevail. It's unbelievable. So, you know, there's a lot of teachings on the rock, the rock, the rock, right? The, the Catholics believe that the rock that Jesus was talking about, like, I will build my church on this rock, is Peter. Um, and some of the Protestant traditions have, have taken that. That's not really what's going on here. Uh, in the Greek, um, when, when Matthew is writing here, um, he, he's using Peter. Uh, Peter's original name was Kepha in, in Aramaic and Hebrew. Uh, but he went by Peter at times. Uh, and Peter comes from essentially Petros, which is uh, a rock. But the way that Peter's name is, is written in Greek actually means a little rock. Peter's name means little rock. So he goes to Peter, the little rock, and says, on this rock I will build my church or my congregation. When he says this church, he uses a different Greek word. He doesn't use Peter. He doesn't use little rock. He uses a different Greek word, which means a big rock. So when people say, oh, you know, on this rock, on Peter, I'm going to build my church, it's not really what the Lord is saying. Why is that? Um, he is not building the church on Peter. If so, it would be Peter's church, right? Um, what does Yeshua, Jesus, say? He says, my church. And this is a very important thing. The church, the family of God, is not built on any one ministry and is not built on any one man except for Jesus, the Son of God. Now, people have gotten it wrong. And in the past, they got it wrong saying that, you know, uh, that, that Peter is the first pope, right? Um, people today get it wrong by saying it's this ministry or that ministry or that ministry that's got it right and only their way. Um, the Lord is saying here on my rock, I'm building my church, and it's not Peter. So this raises the question, well, what is the rock? And it's connected to Matthew 17. What is the rock? Well, there are three things that I believe the Holy Spirit was leading me. What is this rock or foundational principle that the Lord is going to build the church on? And the first thing is, on this rock, he says that after uh, Peter just says that you are the Messiah. Peter says, you are the Messiah. And what does Peter respond? Oh, how glorious it is that no man has revealed this to you except for my Father in heaven. And on this rock, I shall build my church. So what's really being said here is the rock, the foundational truth that he's going to build the church on is the revelation that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. That is the truth. That is the foundational principle, not Peter a fisherman. The second thing, which is, I, I just, I just, I, I really believe it. Because in the context, they're all there. And he's talking about the gate of Hades. And inside of the gate of Hades is a rock. That rock inside of the gate of Hades, at certain times of the year, there's a spring that dwells up from there and comes out. And what I feel that the Lord was saying here is that in part, this rock that he's referring to, is this place of paganism. Meaning, my kingdom will come out of sinners repenting to him. I am at the gate of Hades right now, and nothing is going to prevail against it. 
In fact, on this rock will be the bed of my church. Meaning, the sinners of the world, both Jew and Gentile, coming to him, in the understanding the revelation of who he is, that is their foundational principle and rock of where his bride, his church, will go. And it's so beautiful and so powerful, you see him sitting there at this, this famous rock inside of this cave. Now, okay, maybe you're, you're buying into that or you're grabbing it or maybe not, but there's yet another thing and another rock that is here. He says a big rock. And in the context of this story, there is now an even larger rock to the story, and the larger rock is this. In chapter 17, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain or a high rock. What's happening here is now for six days, or after six days, they're, they're starting to climb. On the seventh day, interesting enough, day of completion, they get to the top of this mountain. At the bottom of that mountain is this pagan stronghold where you go to the underworld, where you go to hell. And it's at the base of this mountain that there is a stronghold, but on the top of this mountain is where Jesus is choosing to be transfigured into the likeness of glory and revelation. And so I thought the Lord was just saying for us, you know, there's a lot of interesting history and geography, but why would the Son of God choose this mountain of all places to do this? I believe it's a, a spiritual revelation of this, that Jesus uses the profane to be a place of transformation. Whatever the evil, whatever the sin you have in your past or present, he wants to transform it into the revelation and the glory of the sun in your life. There could be nothing more pagan than the gateway to hell. And he's choosing this context to say, out of this, I'm making myself revealed to you. This is the power of the gospel. You know, a lot of us, we, we have a tendency maybe to, to beat ourselves up. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. My sin is too great. God would never really want me. These are things that, you know, you hear from people, unfortunately. But in the context of all this, what we have here is the greater the sin, the greater the redemption. And so if, if you have been walking through a sin and you've had past experiences that are very difficult, the Lord redeems that as well. And what's so powerful here is I, who never struggled with alcohol, I can't really relate to someone who does struggle with alcohol as well. But if someone here had been an alcoholic and the Lord has redeemed that, you now can go to someone who is an alcoholic and show them the way and the power of the gospel. I've had my own struggles, but there's certain things I haven't struggled with. And it's very difficult in some ways to try to meet someone where they're at if you haven't had that struggle. It's very peculiar. And someone who has grown up in the church their whole life didn't have necessarily this wandering away and that there isn't this like connection that I can have with other people. But then there are things that I can connect with. So don't allow the enemy to speak inside of your, your, your mind and your spirit saying, you know, this, this, you've done too much to be saved. No. The deeper the abyss, the greater the story. Amen. The deeper the decline, the greater the ascension. Amen. 
the greater the power of the power of the gospel. Paul the apostle was killing people for their faith. And from that testimony, look what he was able to do. Amen? Out of Jesus' death came resurrection of power. That's what's so beautiful about this. When, when Satan tries to tell you these things that you're not good enough, you're not good enough, it's actually he's feeding the fuel to the true ascension and redemption story. As bad as that was, it's as good as God is. Oh. That's the power of the gospel. As much as Satan wants to put you down, if you get your perspective right, he's putting you down, putting you, putting down. That just proves the point of how beautiful and amazing the power of the blood of Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Woo! I love it. The greater the sin, the greater the story of redemption and the power of the blood of Jesus. At the base of that mountain, a stronghold for paganism, but on the top of the mountain, there is a transfiguration, a transformation of who God is to man. Such power in it. So what we have here is to be transformed, right? For us to be transformed, and really for Jesus to be transfigured, and for the disciples to really see that transformation take place, they had to do something. They had to climb. 9,232 foot elevation. They had to climb. They had to climb. They had to climb. Why a mountain? A lot of scholars say, you know, it's because of the seclusion. Right? To get away so God could reveal his glory to everyone. and It would be a real private experience. It's like, come on, man. Like, you know, couldn't you do it at like sea level, right? I mean, I'm sure there's a woods around the bend where, you know. But no, we're going to climb a mountain. Why? Because mountains all throughout biblical literature and all different, and, and really different cultures on planet Earth, it almost always symbolizes the story of life. Right? You climb the mountain, you get to the peak of the mountain, and now life is... It's over. It's a journey. So mountains have been used as a symbol for life all the time. And that raises a question for all of us. And maybe if the worship team can come on down. We'll see what the Lord does here. Raises a question for all of us. And that question is, which mountain are you choosing to climb? Are you choosing to climb the mountain of transfiguration and the mountain of transformation? Or are you choosing to climb the mountain of success and career and prestige and money? Which mountain are you choosing? And I believe the Lord is saying to us today is that the mountain that you are supposed to choose is the mountain of transfiguration, the mountain of transformation of the whole world seeing the glory and revelation of Jesus inside of you. You see, the Israelites circled Mount Sinai time and time again, right? They kept circling around, circling around, circling around. And there was one man who chose to climb it by a call from God, Moses. Many of us are either climbing the wrong mountain Many of us may climb the mountain to be seen and not to see Jesus. Accumulate the wealth, accumulate the prestige, accumulate the ministry to be seen, but not to see into the gazing eyes of love and power of Jesus. 
Some of us, like the Israelites, are going around that mountain over and over and over again. The struggle, the place of struggle, right? Oh, I'm doing this again. This is happening again. The sin is in my life again. Or I yelled again. Or I did this again. I'm just telling you that what you need to do is you need to be like John, James, and Peter. You need to climb the mountain, but with Jesus. You will finally see yourself transformed as you set your eyes not on the struggle, but on the transfiguration, the glory of Jesus. If you want to be changed in your life, I am telling you from experience, you can do whatever you think you can do. You can grit your teeth a little harder and try to be that better Christian. But if you do that, you're just going to be like the Israelites walking around for 40 years in the wilderness. I've been there. If I just try harder, if I just pray a little more, then I'll finally climb the mountain the right way. Uh Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. And we know it's not going to happen because that's what Moses did. He struck the rock once and no water. He struck the rock twice and then the water came out. Even though God said strike it once. Actually, I think he said don't even strike it at all, I think, right? He said just speak to it, right? And because of his disobedience, he was not allowed entrance into the promised land, correct? He's not allowed. Jesus says, well, God says, because you did not speak to the rock and you struck the rock, you're not allowed to see the promised land, man. It's really a symbol of letting go and letting God fight for you and change you or for you to try to do it on your own. Moses tried to make the change on his own and then because of it he was not allowed to enter into the land of promise until 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 that day when Jesus comes to a mountain and who shows up for the first time in his life in the first time of eternity the only time Moses was finally able to see the promised land was when Jesus shows up And his glory and revelation is made manifest. Moses, of all people, was not allowed to see the promised land because of his disobedience. Of trying to do things on his own. Do things on his own. Do things on his own. But when the Son of God shows up, and it's revealed in all of his glory and splendor and might, Moses finally, in that revelation, can come and bear witness to the Son. I am now allowed to see the promised land and to see the promise on the land of transformation, but at the base of that transformation is a pagan stronghold to the gates of hell. Oh, so powerful. So you say, okay, Dave, how do I do this? How do I climb this mountain? How do I climb it with the transfiguration? How do I climb it with Jesus? It's such, you know, poetic, blah, 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 blah stuff. You're not going to like it. Oh, yeah, you won't like it, but you won't like it, right? Look, some of us are climbing the, wrong, you're climbing the mountain of success and prestige and career. Some of you are climbing the mountain of struggle. Like, I, I'm struggling. I, I, I have this sin in my life. 
Maybe we can bring down the worship team a little bit. You know, this, whatever sin like, seems to like, really be hard to get rid of, it's a struggle, it's a mountain. More than success and career, prestige, and all this kind of stuff. So I could say, all right, well, you know, go to work and climb the mountain with Jesus, or, or go through the struggle with Jesus. You know, I, we could do a whole teaching on that, which wouldn't be bad. But I'm here to tell you, the easiest thing to do, and the most fruitful thing to do, is just climb a different mountain. Just climb a different mountain. Don't climb the mountain of success. Don't climb. You see, this is what happens when you start getting into it. This is what happens. Let's rewind because this is this. Right now, I am going up against every principality and spirit of the American dream that exists. That's why this is going. I'm telling you. Stop climbing the mountain of struggle. Stop climbing the mountain of success. Just stop doing it and climb holy Mount Zion with Jesus. You gotta climb a different mountain. Psalm 132, for the Lord has chosen Zion for he has desired it for his dwelling place. Climb the southern steps in a spiritual philosophical way and climb into the dwelling place of Mount Zion. The heart of Jesus is to climb up to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is a mountain which is the dwelling place of God Almighty and His presence. If you want to see some form of success in your life, if you want to see success in getting rid of that struggle, climb Mount Zion. Say, I was glad when they said unto me, let me raise my eyes up to the mountain of Mount Zion. When they said unto me, let us worship the Lord. That's the mountain that you and I are supposed to be climbing. The struggle, the difficulty, I'm telling you, Satan wants you to climb up that mountain. Don't even look at it. Say, I'm setting my eyes on something else. I'm setting my eyes on the dwelling place of the presence of God. When you climb that mountain, God will fight for you and deliver you from everything. But it's a mountain of transfiguration. It's the mountain of transformation. To climb into the holy dwelling place of the Lord. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. I have desired. I will abundantly bless her with provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priest with salvation. And her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. And I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But upon himself his crown shall flourish. Mount Zion, the place of the eternal dwelling place of the Lord. This is what we need to climb. That is a place of transformation. Setting your eyes on Him. Yeah, there's the alcohol. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's the nicotine. Yeah, there's the drug. Yeah, yeah, there's depression. There's the anxiety. Yeah, maybe there's the pornography. Yeah, there's this. Yeah, there's that. There's worry. There's all this good stuff. But I'm going to set my eyes right now on Mount Zion. I'm going to set my eyes on the prize that is Jesus Christ. I'm going to set my eyes on He that matters. I 
look into his eyes in the place of transformation and you yourself will be transformed. And it's not that hard because it's already been done for you. Hebrews chapter 12, 21 and closing up. But you have come. You've already come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels. You've come to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Why? How are we already in Mount Zion? Because of this, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of even Abel. You're already there. In an instant. In an instant. Just, just, just with a, a gaze, a change of focus. You could be right there in the general assembly in the midst of a cloud of witnesses. They're all looking around, all declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we can't do that if our eyes and our feet and our legs and our energy are pursuing the wrong mountain. It's time to get back on the right trail. Set your eyes on the only mountain that matters, Mount Zion, the dwelling place of God. When we do that, and only when we do that, I am telling you, every sin, every stronghold, every heaviness, everything you're dealing with is going to fall because he inhabits the praises of his people. And then when you climb the mountain, it's such a joy, isn't it? Because every step, Jesus is there with you. Every step, Holy Spirit is there. Every step you're going and it's singing songs unto Him. It's feeling His presence and knowing His favor, knowing His love as sons and daughters. So why don't we stand? Let's close out with getting ourselves back on Mount Zion right again. By just getting our, our thoughts and our perspectives right. I'm telling you, when you leave this place and you wake up tomorrow, all it takes is takes your mind to pursue the presence of God and you will be back on that mountain again. No matter what you're doing during the day. So Father, we thank you that on this rock you shall build your church. On the rock of the understanding that you are the Son of God, that you are the Mashiach, the Messiah. We thank you, Lord, that you chose yourself to be transfigured and revealed in full glory and splendor. That you chose a mountain in which its base was a stronghold for paganism and every evil thing. We thank you, Lord, that out of that place, out of that gate in our life, you build the kingdom. And the worse, the worse the story, the worse the sounding of the sin, the greater the redemption in it the greater the resurrection, the greater the ascension. So Father, I pray right now for those people who are too embarrassed Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to build his church upon a rock with a revelation of who he is but also out of a place of just sinners being redeemed. And Father, we now ask 
that we can climb. That it won't be a burden because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And it will not be a burden because the only mountain, the only mountain that's worth climbing in this life is Mount Zion. Ascending into the presence of God. Ascending into the presence of God. Father, I pray right now that we can just step and ascend into your presence. We send right now, but when we leave today, when we wake up tomorrow, and we place our feet on the ground, that it's ascension time. Focusing on you and your presence. Amen? I really wanted to close up today before we go downstairs. I really wanted to close up with a song of worship. Encourage us to just make further strides and steps up to Mount Zion. I just ask you to please just let's do that together as a community. And then we'll see you downstairs. Well, let's just let's just press in right now for that. Amen.